Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Michael Carl Erie, Timothy John Stafford coming at you live from uh, Central Ohio and Northern California. Uh, it is a delightful, delightful day today. Weather update, uh, <laughs> 60 and sunny. Tim, how about you? 60 and sunny. And you guys were just buried, right? Like In snow? A few days ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We the, are, uh, we're the 45 joke, and sunny today. The joke, is that your high or is that your current? That's just current. High today is 59. Okay, I like that. It's we'll chilly. Be warmer. We'll be warmer. That's fine. The thing about Ohio is the, the gift is that you get to experience all four seasons often in the same week. And so we just had <laughs> we just had a bunch of snow, which was ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, we got a treat for you today. Before Treats. I get into before I get into thank yous and all the other uh, the other business, we got a treat. We got Shane Claiborne today. Shane Claiborne. Yes. Often I've called him Claiborne, which <laughs> Not sure how that got in there. Claiborne. Uh, Claiborne today. And so we're excited about that. We'll tell you a bit more about that in a second. We have an outro attached to that. And, um, you know, our reflections on Shane's reflections often are the most important reflections uh, that are out there. It's a lot of reflecting. So stay tuned for that. Uh, It's a big, it's kind of a big episode, guys. Boom. Oh, yeah. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to some folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, the the fact that we get to do this every episode is staggering to me. The yes, fact that we get to funny. thank people. That's very who, encouraging. Who are, it, 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 I don't even know what to say. I mean, thank you just doesn't seem like big enough. But I want to say thank you to Brittany and Patrick and Ashley and Robert and Sean. That's crazy. Right. For, for joining us, for coming on uh, Patreon. Thank you so much for your investment in this and investment in us. Uh, like I said, it, it's a joy to do. Um, but when people are uh, validating it and valuing it, it, it means a lot. So thank you. I'm a really deeply thank you. And you're, um, you listener are more than welcome to join us too. Patreon.com, Vox Podcast with Mike Erie, or go to VoxPodcast.com. And then... If you would, um, if you if you're at your computer and have a second to light, rate, subscribe, all of that, you know, helps us with the our our algorithmic overlords, um, algorithmic, algorithmic overlords, overlords. Uh, to to keep them happy and us discoverable. All of that's super helpful. Now, Tim, yes, something something I don't know what's happening to me, but there there is something deeply spiritual about a dumpster that is now parked in my driveway. <laughs> so we're 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 purging. We're moving yeah. from Columbus, Ohio to Nashville, Tennessee. Everything that doesn't give you joy. Oh, but so much gives me joy. That's know, the that's problem. That's my problem. That was the what was her name? Marie Con- Marie Kondo. Con- yeah, and that was the big rage last or pre-pandemic. Uh, maybe pre-pandemic, I can't remember. But I don't know. Get rid of everything that doesn't give you joy. But I'm somebody who makes everything sentimental. So. I look yes. at everything. And I'm like, well, this gives this gave me joy at this point, and yeah. this gives me joy now. And my wife's just like, get rid of it. <laughs> I I have hundreds and hundreds of books that give me joy. Yeah. Um. But but I am I am so so there is this altar that now sits in my driveway called a dumpster, <laughs> and upon that altar I am casting like. I, it's it, it's this weird, deeply spiritual exercise of just kind of turning a big page on my life. Like, yeah. like I'm just I'm done with what's behind, right? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, totally. Like, I don't know. It's 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 been it's been really weird and spiritual, and and obviously we have we form mystical connections with our stuff that's super weird, but um, I don't know. There's been something really crazy about me in a dumpster lately so i just want to share I had such that a great publicly. image when you called it an altar of you like your neighbors coming out of their house and you've lit the dumpster on fire and you're dancing around it and they're just yeah. like and oh. i and i shall dub it gehenna yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the nickname of the dumps that's it i am embodying the biblical story right <laughs> there it, it is <laughs> gehenna is outside the house in the dumpster yes 
and I'm getting rid of everything that doesn't fit into new creation. Wow. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay, that'll preach. Um, <laughs> all right. I have no. I just needed to share that. But part of okay, this is why this is why I share that. So I've I've been going through, <clears throat> like I said, I have hundreds of books, and um, it, it's it's funny how different, um, how differently I'm conceiving of what I need for the future in terms of books, as opposed to what I thought I would need in the past. And here, here's mm -hmm. what I mean. Um, as I'm going, I'm touching each volume, smelling it, caressing. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I am, I am, I'm getting rid of, I, I would say at least a hundred or 200 books. I'm gutting really? my library of, yeah, of, so, um, I was I used to be really big into apologetics and philosophy. I got a master's in philosophy of religion. I still love it and enjoy it and think it's super helpful. The Christian expression of that was something called apologetics, which is kind of the here's why we think Jesus rose from the dead and here's how you answer the problem of evil and here's why we think the Bible's reliable. And I, and I find that stuff still, you know, it, it's a part of my faith. And I feel good about the fact that you don't have to be an idiot to follow Jesus. But I, I see no future of those books in my library. Yeah, I get that. Um, let me give two more illustrations and then I just want to talk about it. So I, I had, I, I probably have dozens of books on leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. So either just leadership practices or... Um, or like elder boards and here's how you pastor and here's the politics of leadership. I mean, dozens and dozens. And I literally am not keeping a single book on leadership on, on, um, on, uh, on the church. I, I have beyond dozens of books on the nature and purpose of the church. And none of those are, you know, maybe a couple <laughs> that are making it through the great fire and light of the purge uh, into Gehenna. I'm not throwing them away, by the way. But I found that so fascinating that instinctively, intuitively, without even thinking about it, yeah, I don't feel like what the world needs are, are better rational answers, more sub-biblical leadership, or yeah. more theory about the church. Like, like, there was just no room in the inn, in my heart, mm. For those topics because we've all what have what 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 has that done um and i'm not denigrating those things i mean i obviously i have massive convictions about the church and and i think leadership is very important and of course loving god with our minds absolutely i'm a huge studier so i'm not denigrating those things yeah i found it just i was observing myself and I'm, I'm just leadership book after leadership, self-leadership. How do you lead teams, healthy teams, healthy church culture, healthy this, healthy that, da 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 da, da. And, and I'm looking at the people who wrote them, and some of them did not embody those things even remotely. Right. Um, there was, I was such, I was a part of the leadership cult of mega churchville uh, in the early, <laughs> late 90s, early zeros of just like, yes, the church's job is to raise leaders. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was, and I'm, I'm just finding all of these meetings I was in about different ways of, of leading and here's the biblical Jesus model of leadership. And I mean, it's just, it's maddening and, and all of it, I was just like, I don't want any of it. None of it seems important anymore. Yeah. And I found that so interesting. Now, now the reason I think a is uh church leadership would let's just throw all of that horse shit out and start oh, over because yeah. clearly we have created a monster that is us that is anti-jesus so let's yeah. just start there secondly none of our church books did anything to to really invigorate our imagination about what our churches should be yeah thirdly the world couldn't give jack crap. People aren't leaving the faith because they don't find it intellectually satisfying. People are leaving the faith totally. because it doesn't resemble Jesus at yep. all. Yep. So 
I'm sitting here and I'm like, what what do I need? And and this is all symbolic, of course, but what do I need going forward? I need embodied mentors who are mm-hmm. doing stuff. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, I need help in being healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need leadership. I, I don't I don't need a healthy leadership culture, although it, it a harmful one matters. I yeah. need I need to know how to be a healthy human being. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I have a lot of work to do. Therapeutic, therapeutically, uh, spiritual discipline-wise, Bible study, I mean, all of that. I need help with that. But that seems like I the need... most important first step, right? Is like Is people who are in positions of leadership realizing that they have so much room to grow. Totally. You know, like... That there is a road that that road ahead is still long, and there's still so much to learn and embody. There's just so much humility that's missing from leaders. Well, there certainly is in me. I can't speak to all of them, but it. Well, I didn't want to just. I didn't want to just call you out. So I was trying to broaden it a little bit and just say all leaders <laughs> need some humility. <laughs> totally. I mean, how the heck do you have a platform in a healthy way? How the how? I mean, <laughs> they're just. There, there's, um, there's just, I don't know, uh, the books I, and I, and, and it's just fascinating. The, the, the books for me have always been, um, uh, places of comfort challenge. I do so much in my head and yeah. that's just not, that just doesn't matter as much. And I'm not, again, I'm all the disclaimers. I'm not denigrating church or leadership or theology or apologetics. I'm not. I'm just saying I found it fascinating that in the future I envision about what my role is and the role that is most healthy, it has almost nothing to do with those things. Yeah. And I would hazard a guess that for my 17 and 15 and 13-year-olds uh, generation, those aren't the things right. <laughs> that they're going to be really yeah. wrestling with. And so I don't know. It's just such an interesting thing. But it brings me to why we wanted to talk to Shane. Yes. Because Shane, Shane is, um, he is, um, he's somebody who just his mere existence and approach and manner of life calls, he doesn't have to open his mouth, but it calls into question. It provides a prophetic, <laughs> like, um, calling out of the, the assumptions that I use to kind of just, and, and, and the assumptions I make that generally sort of drive my life forward. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, we're always talking about people we'd love to, to talk with. And Shane, of course, is known um, as an activist of, around pro-life uh, issues and broadening that definition and red letter Christians and some incredibly great stuff. But he's like, when you, you just sit and talk with him, you're like, I, I want, this is somebody I want to pattern my life after. Yes. Like, like a mentor um, in, in the way of Jesus. And I've had a t-shirt the- for like 20 years that I won't wear because I'm afraid to ruin. I don't, it's this all, I don't know. I found it at a thrift store and it's a, like a stained glass picture of St. Francis Mm. And he's like got the birds flying around him. He's feeding, but on the back it says, "Preach the gospel whenever possible. Use words only when necessary." Mm-hmm. And I makes me think of what you're saying, kind of, and, mm-hmm. and Shane himself too. Like it's this embodied life that is almost less. And, and I think I asked this question when we were talking about the Gehenna stuff last week or two weeks ago about like, do we do we feed the poor? Because we think it's the religious religious thing to do, and it's a a model or whatever, or we do it because they're hungry, right? And I see yes. so much of that in him. That's like, yeah, it's not like a he doesn't do these things for a statement. He lives his life in a way that, like, is trying to meet needs that people have because they're needs. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, and, and so he, you know, he's not he's not promoting anything, like you know, often people have books out or whatever they're they're willing to come on podcasts and stuff and that's yeah. great i mean we've learned tons and gobs from people who are doing that um but he's just somebody that like yeah i just want to um 
it, it's good for my whatever the future of the church is going to look like it's going to look that headed that way um, you know what I mean and I don't yeah. and so I'd rather I'd rather um, sit around embodied alternatives who are certainly not perfect um, and there's no pedestal here I mean no but I don't know. There's just something really inspiring about somebody who looks at gun violence and then says, well, let's do something about that beyond just yeah. fire off tweets. Yeah. Um, and we, we had him on what? Uh, I, I don't know how long ago it was. Yeah. It was sometime early last year or something talking yeah. about and more, a more in-depth, if you're interested, conversation on the stuff. He brings up a little bit about turning guns into garden tools. Yeah. Which I just think is so genius. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I'm looking, I'm trying to look around for ways forward yeah. that um that that seem to capture the beauty and heart of Jesus towards people. And so can I, can I read that um that Instagram post that I sent to you? Absolutely. Because that's what I've been, because this is what has convicted me lately. And I think it has to do with um, some of the stuff that Shane talks about. But so th there's an yeah. Instagram account that I follow called Black Coffee with White Friends. And she wrote this after the young boy, Adam Toledo, was um, shot in Chicago. And, um, she wrote this. So she she talks about the shooting itself a little bit, but she wrote this, and this is what has, has made me feel convicted. Has made me think a lot lately, because I'm trying to always figure out what I can do. How, what should I be doing? What's my posture? I'm tired of lamenting, and I'm tired of holding space. I want to find a way to mm -hmm. be part of the to be part of the healing and part of the change. And yep. so she says, "Dear White American Church." The 10% tithe, at least the tithe I called for in my last post, has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. I'm pleading for 10% more acknowledgement from the capital C church. Not the individuals sitting in the pews, but the ones calling the shots who sit on boards, head seminaries, lead missions, preach sermons, publish books, train and teach and carry chief of in their title. Can you be servant leaders and tithe 10% of your power and influence to the cause of the Imago Dei? that is dying at 13 years old in the streets? Can you give up 10% of your comfort to the least of these? Be servant, uh, sorry, we don't need 10% more of your platitudes of prison programs, your charitable giving to the homeless and hungry. We need 10% more skin in the game. We need 10% of you pushing your hands into the bleeding flesh of dying brown and black people who are the reflection of the Holy of Holies too. And I, that's been, I've been so convicted with that we need 10% more of your skin in the game. And I want to mm. know what that means. And I want to, I want to find how I can do that. I don't even know how yeah. to, I don't even know how to phrase <laughs> what totally. I'm saying. Don't know. No. So, so t to that, um, impulse to that, um, you know, for me, uh, purging, um, here's just somebody who we think is is ahead of us. We have a lot to learn from, and um, and so that that's the reason. There's nothing nothing huge, nothing we're promoting. Please check out everything he does, yeah. um, for sure. But I don't know. I it, it was it was just such an interesting like my um, excitement to talk with him stood over against all of this stuff I used to be super stoked about um, mm. in terms of like church leadership, church theory, you know, defending the faith or whatever. Um, I don't know. So, and maybe there's something there about where the, where the future of the thing needs to go. So anyway, we hope you enjoy the interview. Um, here he is. Uh, and, <laughs> and he is hilarious in this one. So I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is awesome. We got Mike, we got Tim, but we got Shane Claiborne. 
um, who is coming at us live from his mother's house, from his childhood <laughs> home in East Tennessee, and from his old room, correct? Yes, sir. Tell me about it. Tell me, tell me some of the mementos that are still there. I'm going to just tell you, I am glad that this is not one of video things because I got my, <laughs> my gymnastics pictures. I got, I was a child model, so I got some modeling <laughs> from <laughs> Levi's jeans. I got, I got, a, I got a little, here's what y'all are going to love. I got Dolly Parton. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I heard, St. Dolly. You know, shot and it says, to Shane, love Dolly. Right there. Sign that for me. Got a little thing Mother Teresa signed over here, but I thought you'd like Dolly Parton. You know even more there. But uh, yeah. Sure, so, sure. In order of priority. My, <laughs> a little, I, had a, I had a green mohawk for a little while, so I got a picture over there with that. But I got all my little things I've been given over the years. So, yeah, man. It's so I, here's, I, I was a uh, gymnast, so I've got lots of trophies from – I was the, the Tennessee State champion in gymnastics. You were <laughs> what? Hot takes. <laughs> Dang. Uh, like well. an onion. All right. Let's let's just start. Let's just stay with young Shane for a second. <laughs> Things that you loved in the 80s that you would be semi-embarrassed to admit to now. Oh, man. Total like 80s rock bands. You kidding me? Um, yeah. Come on. I mean, you know, Bon Jovi has my first concert probably. I had to nice. take my mom because I was too young. So my mom, <laughs> my friend John Lowe, and I went to the Bon Jovi Cinderella concert. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, oh, man. So other things I like, I miss about the 80s. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had some Cindy Lauper, had some Culture Club going. Had, there you uh, go. Uh, you know, the, the cassette tapes. I probably still got some of them here. Um, <laughs> shopping malls. We went to shopping malls That's back right. then. I don't think we really have them anymore. But, uh, yes, yeah, shopping malls. Um, we had, um, you know, a drive-in theater here. We had oh, – we had. So good. Uh, <laughs> they called it professional wrestling, but it really wasn't that professional. Uh, but you That's could pay like five bucks. And everybody chewed tobacco, but we weren't really allowed to do that. So we we had uh, sunflower seeds. You know, you'd pack oh, in totally. your jaw totally. and uh, spit them like you was spitting some backy. Yeah, that was it, man. <laughs> I still got my fly fishing rod back here, though. And I, you know, I love I, my folks live on a lake, so it's beautiful. I love fishing, oh. and uh, I grew up on the water, so I like wakeboarding and all that funky stuff. You know, yeah, so mm. good, so good. There's something, something about our childhood home. It's just great to have our stuff. So is your room pretty much the way you left it? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I love it. I, I mean, there's some embarrassing things in there. Oh, I got, I went to clown school. You saw my email. So I, <laughs> I, I, went, I went to clown school. So I have some shoes up here, clown <laughs> shoes that are made by uh, Leon Mc, McBride, Buttons the Clown, one of the most famous clowns in America. If you don't know him, you should be ashamed. I don't know. But, you know I'm so like, ashamed. I mean, Frosty Little. I mean, I went to like one of the best uh, circus schools, so I, I still, you know, do a little juggling and unicycling. My wife got me stilts for Christmas, so rocking that, man. <laughs> I I have nothing else to add. I mean, this I, I'm good. I I was I was trying to think of things that you, you that you don't normally talk about, and we've stumbled upon a trove of interesting <laughs> nuggets. This is fantastic. Um, Got a lava lamp over here. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Mary Mary Lou Retton. Do you remember Mary Lou Retton? I, I met Mary Lou Retton. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I could be making this up in my head, but I feel like she came to our one of our competitions and like gave us a you know like pep pep talk and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's been a long time. But totally remember Mary Lou Retton and um, Mitch Gaylor and yes, Bar, uh, Mitch Gaylor, gymnast in my day, man. Totally, yeah. dude. I I was unaware of gymnastics until Mary Lou Retton, and I was like, oh, whatever she's a part of. I'm gonna be a well, fan. They, like they made her a part of like the Saturday morning, like the. Oh, I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mary Lou, man. Uh, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, and then became a. I became a swimming fan with uh, Summer Sanders. Was the was the she was from Stanford. Anyway, all that is to say, I would I would go through <laughs> Olympic crushes every summer Olympics. I would kind of have an Olympic crush, 
and Mary Lou was the first, but that's neither here nor there. Shay, <laughs> how are you? What's going on? What sort of good trouble are you causing these days, my friend? Well, I am. So I've, I've been in a little different rhythm, and I'd planned this before the pandemic even. My wife and I have this school bus. Um, this is a thing turning school buses into tiny houses. They're called schoolies, right? So yeah. we've got we've got a school bus. You know, it's oh. like a rental car. They they um they turn them over pretty regularly, but they're well maintained. They usually have low miles. So we got this school bus for real cheap and um and some this other couple had renovated it and you know, so it's got solar power, compost and toilet. We've done a little, you know, uh odds and ends on it, but it's pretty awesome. So we're living in a in a van down by the river. <laughs> there, there's one I miss. I miss old uh, Chris Farley. Oh, yeah. Chris Farley. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah. So we're living in a school bus uh, and loving it. So we've been kind of popping back and forth from North Carolina, where my wife's from, to uh, ah. Tennessee here. And um, and we got our blacksmith and stuff. So you, you probably know we, we've been, you know, oh, yeah. taking donated guns and turning them into garden tools and uh, again, this is all audio, but you know, there's one of my shovels. So we got shovels here and rakes. I've uh, been making crosses, and so we. My wife's a blacksmith too, so we've really been enjoying that. You know, it's kind of good to do something with your hands. Yeah, uh, yes. it, like like physical in the in the pandemic, um, and so that's been a great uh, little heart, you know, uh, uh, craft for us. But yeah. it's it's a good skill we've been learning, and uh, uh, it's very healing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm always like knocking out a wall of an abandoned house in Philly. You know, we fix up these vendors, but it's the same thing. It's kind of the same feeling when you just beat the crud out of an assault rifle. You know, especially <laughs> like in between news stories of mass shootings. Oh. So it's been good for my soul, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Has 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 it been the the travel? You you a lot of your ministry comes from proximity and place. And so as you've been kind of going back and forth with that, and, and, and especially in the middle of the pandemic, what's that been like? Has, has that, have you developed community in each of those places that you kind of uh, fall into and attach to when you're there? And then when you go somewhere else, you're with another crew of people or how's that work? Yeah, man, in some ways I feel like just, just incredibly uh, blessed with community in different places because we spent 25 years in philly right been yeah. built, building a village you know building a little community on the north side at the simple way uh and i was just up there i mean it's just thriving um and i mean as all my neighbors have stepped up to the plate i mean we're a covid testing site every week you know hundreds of people getting tested for the virus we're delivering bags to seniors of food um, doing more food distribution than we've ever done so it's all being organized and led by neighbors so it's 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 amazing i try to go up every month or two and uh just reconnect with everybody you know check on the gardens and and um but uh, you know like i said we we've, we've really loved our family and we haven't had a lot of quality time you know we have holidays and stuff so it's been yeah. awesome to spend a year down here and um with a with a heavy foot down here and we may uh keep doing the school bus life katie said she's she, you know there's that book the the best life now we're living the bus life now we're we're, we're liking it for good. So, yeah. and and so you can literally just start the thing up and move it yeah yeah I mean, this is an like, awesome. Yeah, this is this is an RV plus a um, uh, uh, what are those double wide sort of apartment things they 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 throw up everywhere. I mean, this sounds kind of amazing. So yeah, little blacksmithing shop on the back. Of course, Boom. of course it does. Original school bus door. You can put it on the thing where it pops open. You know, and um, you know yeah. if the zombies do attack, you're you're set up. I mean, you're set up pretty well. You can you can forge your own survival gear. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a zombie imaginary zombie prepper. So I'm always thinking, okay, if the zombies do attack, where's a good place to go? And you've your bus has just been your bus has just added to my list. So. Well, we uh, gotta look. Like, we look like we're those. Uh, what do they call them? The uh, like apocalypse preppers, you yes. know, whatever survivalists. Like, <laughs> yes. I got a pile of guns that you wouldn't believe. <laughs> 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 they're all they're all uh, decommissioned and 
most of them are chopped in half or something. But man, if you if you just took a quick glance, you'd be like, "Yo, you got a problem, brother." Yeah. <laughs> this movie writes itself. So so we've got we've got gymnast. Uh, I assume you were raised in kind of a Christian evangelical Southern bubble. Uh, is that true? What was your oh, kind of faith oh, inheritance? I, I mean, and I'm not saying that in all a bad way. I mean, I, yeah. I fell in love with yeah. Jesus down here. You know, I I really had a lot of people that cared about me in the church and young life and all that stuff. You know, and so it was. Uh, I probably still got my Lord's Gym shirt here. You got you oh. got one of those. <laughs> totally <laughs> with zebra with zebra pants. That's a classic. You had to wear zebra pants with those. <laughs> had those uh, had those uh, charts that you you know get rid of your Metallica and they'd give you the Christian counterfeit and uh, yeah oh and then, man uh, yeah man I, I got my uh, test I, this is not I kid you not I got all this stuff in these drawers right here uh, but you know I I had like uh, the testaments you know the mints oh, that yeah. are oh, yeah. birds, uh, wrapped around and whatnot I, I really did I I was into all that man I was a um and and you know that that's a part of what shaped me. I grew up Methodist down here. And, um, and then I got, I'll, I'll just, you know, this is a safe place. I'm just going to tell you, I got a little bored in the old Methodist world. And I, I yeah. liked the charismatics because I thought, man, here's some people that believe in yeah. miracles and, you know, walking on water and stuff. So I, I got, I got, um, rebaptized in the charismatic church, got my coffee mug over here from, uh, that, that <laughs> little, my mom, my mom kind of thought it, was a cult but i really loved it you know i love the charismatic side of it they met in a warehouse you know like no real glamour or anything just just totally. love jesus and so that that really shaped me too man yeah i've kind of um embraced all the different streams of, of love it. Uh, you know denominations and whatnot and uh spit out the bones when i need to so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i'm assuming um i i had a similar uh, childhood except with for the Pentecostal part but I'm assuming activism wasn't a normal part of the diet evangelism was church going was you know those sorts of things yeah uh, so so where was it that, that, that's, not, that's not exactly true I mean okay. we did the evangelism we did it at the shopping mall right we, I, I remember we had these <laughs> these you know like skit things we do and oh I, yes I was, I was I was a preacher in one and I preached a whole sermon using the word devil and I'd take away the D and it would say evil. And I'd take the E off the devil and I'd move it and it'd say vile. And I'd oh. say, you know, that's what we are. And then take the V off and you'd have ill and, you know, and, and then wow. I had L and I'd just say it rhymes with hell, which is where we're going with that. You know, it was tough, man. So that's, that was it. It was like my first sermon. And then, um, but amazing. here's the thing. We did that stuff, but I, wa I, I was very passionate about my faith. And what that translated into was the see you at the poll stuff. Do you remember that? Oh, Where, yeah. You know, we're going to take prayer back in school. Yep. We'd get up at hours that you were just never meant to get up, five in the morning, you know, and meet at the flagpole. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but for me, it was, I mean, it was the fire. It was, it was inside me. I was convinced that, you know, this was the battle of our generation and things like that. So I've always been really passionate. Yeah. And then I think I've just maybe had that that passion for activism sort of fine-tuned and shaped over the last couple of decades. I guess yeah. it's still happening, you know, but yeah. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. And and yes, I I thank you for the for clarifying because there is a great deal of activist energy in evangelical culture. But what what was it that sort of um began to poke holes in that inherited subculture to that opened you up to realize oh there are things that are happening way beyond evil and devil that um and saving souls that kind of concern that that, that are of concern to jesus well i started to see some pretty disturbing contradictions um and mm -hmm. for instance i'm just going to put this out there like uh my high school was the Maryville High School Rebels, and we mm. had the Confederate flag draped on everything. I mean, it was on our walls and murals. It was on our lunchroom trays. Wow. Um, it was on, like, the Confederate flag. You know, the, 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 this was on our uh, football uniforms, everything. So, um, so 
the, the first time, the first time I can remember reckoning with that was when I went to college and I put my high school yearbook on the shelf. My friend, uh, you know, my floor mate saw saw the Confederate flag and was like, "Dude, what's up with that? That's not cool, man." You know, and wow. uh, and we talked, you know, and I and I began to see, you know, the residue of of slavery and racism and and some of that the the finger, you know, the the, the footprint that that still has on our theology and on the church. Mm. Um, so I think that was probably the beginning, and then mm. you know, out, out of that, I began to. Um, really rethink, how, you know, how narrowly we thought about what it means to be pro-life in terms yeah. of just abortion. So, you know, um, the death penalty, gun violence, a lot of those things began to get on my radar because I saw how inconsistent hmm. our ethic was. You know, we say that we're pro-life, but we're, we would be more accurate to say anti-abortion or pro-birth because, yeah. you know, as, uh, on almost every other issue than abortion, we were on the wrong side of life. You know, we were the biggest champions of the death penalty, the biggest uh, gun owners and gun kind of enthusiasts. And I grew up with that. You know, I grew yeah. up with guns. I grew up for the death penalty. So I had to rethink, you know, some of the holes in my own theology. And a lot of it, like you said, man, was had everything to do with proximity. You know, when gun violence has a name and a face, when racism has a name and a face, when you know someone who's uh, LGBTQ that's been really hurt and excluded from the church, or when, you know, I, and now knowing people that are on death row, people that were wrongfully convicted and sentenced to death, all that yeah. like makes these issues more than just stuff you debate in sociology class. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and how do you... So, so for a lot of, a lot of people, I don't know if you see this, I, I, I see this a bunch, um, where people wake up to matters of justice and, and they're so crushed by the failures of the church. They end up leaving the, the faith really altogether. Um, and, and we see loads of people doing this and, and I think I'm totally sympathetic to the impulse. You how you you however have kept a really centralized view of Jesus, a high view of Scripture, hope for the church. You've somehow been able to see the worst of the church, and yet retain some sort of hope. Um, how how has that worked itself out? You know, you you we don't despise our beginnings because they led us to Jesus, right? But we've uh, in in your case, you've certainly outgrown or grown beyond some of those things. So how how is it that you've been able to sort of deconstruct the bits and pieces and spit out the bones, but still, what is it that that is compelling you to hold on to the the bits of Jesus and Bible and stuff that you know? I think a lot of us are tempted to give up on. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I there's a couple of couple of reflections I guess I would throw into that. Is <clears throat> one of them is the most, uh, however passionately we invested. We, we were we were kind of um, invested in evangelicalism is about that often reflects how passionately <laughs> we we deconstruct you know mm, mm. Um, and 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 so I think that there's a lot of people that were deeply they were the Bible thumpers they were the fundamentalists and now their deconstruction is baby it basically demolition it's tearing down the house you know I want nothing to do with it and and yet for me like. Um, I think what was helpful for me was that I began to see a landscape of a kind of spiritual landscape that was a whole lot bigger than just the, the version of white evangelicalism that um, I grew up in. Right. Like, like I, I began to be deeply disturbed as, as my friend, you know, Rachel Held Evans used to say that, that the same people that led me to Jesus led us to Donald Trump. That was mm -hmm. deeply troubling. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, like I saw outside of the most toxic kind of versions of evangelicalism, a whole beautiful landscape uh, within the black church, within like um, the Latino church in Philadelphia. For a long time, I went to Iglesia del Barrio, Church of the Neighborhood, a little like congregation in my neighborhood. So there were a lot of places that were giving me life outside mm. of um, the, the kind of very um, – uh, disturbing kind of narratives of Christianity. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I also began to realize that we got to do more than um, just deconstruct. Um, mm. 
a lot of this progressive circles I'm in are, they feel kind of like post evangelical therapy groups, you know? And I think there's a space for that. And I'm, I'm not trivializing the pain that, and, and, you know, trauma that folks have experienced in the church. But like, I think like the 16 year olds on my block in North Philly, they don't need to deconstruct John Piper, you know, <laughs> they, they need a, a spiritual lifeline. They need like something, uh, a vital community. And so I think that's where we really ended up is going, we've, we've got to not just be tearing something down, but building something new up um, yeah. or, or joining something that's healthier than kind of mm. the, the stuff that's so hurtful and um, the theology that's so narrow. As a white man in these justice spaces, how do you see our, your role, our role? Um, you know, I'm looking at the podcast landscape and there's just a ton of a ton of us um out there you know spouting and questioning and interviewing and asking um what are you observing about the 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 part that we have to play as culture almost leads the church in some ways um into repentance and lament where do you where do you how do you wrestle with that personally or if you do you and then secondly um uh, where, where do you see a role? Uh, because I think for some of us, it's, it's very, uh, easy to just either dismiss the whole thing, um, or, or to say, well, then I just, I don't have a part to play then. I re- my, my part is really just elevating everybody else, which is true. Um, so anyway, how have you given that much thought or how have you put that together? <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess one of the starting point for me is 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 recognizing our social location, you know, our social kind of our own identity as as whoever we are. But, you know, speaking as a white person, sort of realizing that um, a part of what we're dealing with is a mythology of racial hierarchy, you know, that some people are um, have access to privileges because of the color of their skin that others don't have access to. So reckoning with that becomes really important because um, there's nothing worse than I, the, the, one of the definitions of entitlement I use is when someone's born on third base, but they act like they hit a triple. I think that's, that's um, what can be so hurtful is not realizing where we were born. And I did a great class that I, I co-taught um, with uh, I, I co-taught a class with Christina Cleveland, Dr. Christina Cleveland uh, at Fuller. And we, we did, you know, kind of this tag team. She's an African-American, uh, I mean, incredible scholar and teacher and writer. And uh, so we co-taught this class and, and uh, about, uh, our identity. And I, I think one of the things that we've got to realize is that um, there, there's, there's, a, there's a tendency for white folks to either sabotage and try to um, distance themselves from that privilege or just to act like it doesn't exist. And I think both of those are really dangerous options. So rather like, let's see, you know, what we've got. Um, what is, what does sabotage look like if I can interrupt you? Cause that's an interesting way to put that. Huh. Yeah. My, my friend, um, I had a friend that taught me a prayer a while ago. He said, uh, Lord, this is a good prayer. Uh, Lord, forgive me for thinking too highly of myself. Lord, forgive me for thinking too lowly of myself. Lord, forgive me for thinking of myself so much. (laughs) There comes a point where you sort of are able to locate where you're at and then like move out of that space, you know, Mm. and, and think about, okay, so, so I think there's something that I really needed to do as, as a white person, as a male, as a person of privilege is to um, be careful about the narrative of uh, in our neighborhood, for instance, that this is not about a bunch of outsiders coming in to save a poor neighborhood, but that's the neighbor. That's the way the narrative can often be framed. And that's yeah. a kind of a paradigm for missiology or missions work that we often have. And it's very damaging. So, you know, one of my neighbors, who's a pa- pastor born in the neighborhood, he said, sometimes people tell this story in a way that uh, gives you all clout while robbing other people that are born here of their dignity. He said, all your, your peers think you're a hero for living in Kensington. All of my friends think I'm a failure because I didn't move out of this neighborhood that I was into. So those things to wrestle with that becomes important. Even things like, um, uh, you know, the, the language of voice for the voiceless. I'm, I, I have a, I'm very hesitant on some of those 
ways that we framed our uh, mission, right? Um, mm. So because sometimes we've been a vo- we've we've tried to step up and be a a voice for the voiceless when people actually have a voice. And rather than grabbing the mic, we would do better to hold the mic, right? Or to amplify the voices that people are not listening to. Uh, So a lot of the work that I do, that's kind of how I've tried to posture myself. You know, um, I do events around gun violence and the death penalty, but almost all of them have people that have been directly impacted that are, you know, their voices are at the center. So that's, you know. I don't yeah. always do that perfectly, but that that's what we're really aspiring to do. And then to, to come alongside folks that have been impacted by injustice and to um, add our voice, you know, to that, uh, the, the choir of, of sort of justice voices that are there. How do you, um, as we've had to re-engage as the pandemic, you know, is going however it's going, we've seen this new wave of gun violence um, staggering almost daily. Um, how, and I know this is like the the total wrong way to ask the question, but I don't know a better one. How do, what are, what are practices and habits that keep us from, uh, growing numb and exhausted? Um, and I, I would imagine banging away on assault rifles is a pretty good place to start with that right? As you're, as you're working with your hands, but for you personally, I mean, this is an issue, obviously you've been, you've been talking about for the last several years, here it is blowing up again. Um, I think for, for me, I can just speak for me. I I feel so disheartened about anything real that will happen. Um, how is it that, that you are able to, to keep that fire hot, I guess? Yeah. A couple of a couple of things is, you know, when I talk about beating on the guns, I was sort of, uh, you know, um, I, I, I didn't really emphasize the depth of what I feel like we're really doing because I mm. we, we call it sacramental, you know, which is a word I don't use lightly in the church, but it means a holy mystery, right? There's mm. something very holy about it. And we began transforming guns into garden tools and other things. Um, inspired by the prophets, you know, Mike and Isaiah, um, they'll beat their swords into plows. But, you know, we thought about the symbolism, but I don't think we we fully were aware of how powerful it is to mm. honor the grief and trauma. So, uh, uh, you know, we did this in 40 different cities all over the country every night, transforming a gun from that community into other things and donating the plows to community gardens and churches, things like that. But um, almost every night we heard the stories too, because uh, we invite wow. people that have been, the way that we say it is, if you've been impacted by gun violence, um, you're welcome to take the hammer. And sometimes there's a line, wow. dozens of people that have lost loved ones to suicide or folks that have survived mass shootings. We had one person that they um, had actually taken someone's life. So when they beat on it, they counted 18 times. And they said, that's for the 18 year old that I killed. Um, so, I mean, this, this is really deep. And I think what we had to realize too, is that we need more than just the old tactics. You know, we, Mm. we, we aren't just going to argue people into thinking differently. We've really got to move people in, in the hearts and Mm. sometimes their heads will follow, you know, we kind of lead with our heart. And so I think making this personal and, um, we did one with Tommy Rice's family, you know, we've done this with like all kinds of different iterations of violence. And so when it becomes personal, I think that moves us in a new way. And also it's, it's holy work, you know, Mm. that, that, Sometimes people say, well, gun violence, this is not a, a gun problem. It's a heart problem, you know, and we we insist it, it can be both, you know, like God heals hearts and people change laws. And we, 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 you know, just like the civil rights movement, I mean, it was a heart issue and a policy issue. And so, like, I think we need God to heal people's hearts, but we also need to rethink some of the ways that we can do a better job at protecting life. And you're right. I mean, in the pandemic, some people would think like, we're on lockdown and, you know, we see these mass shootings now that people are starting to come out again. But the truth is just the opposite. Like all over our country, uh, gun deaths skyrocketed, even during the pandemic, there are over 41,000. You know, this is over a hundred a day and mass shootings are just a small portion of tragic, but you know, small percentage of those um, shootings. So as we see these, you know, we're, we're, I mean, Philadelphia hit, 
500 homicides last year, which is the most that we've had in like 40 years. So that's the other kind of thing happening in our country that if it doesn't have a name and a face, it can stay really below the radar. But that's where I think as followers of Jesus, we say, this is a pro-life issue. I mean, you can't say you're pro-life and ignore, you know, a hundred lives being lost every single day to guns in my lifetime. I don't know how old you are, man. I ain't going to throw you under the bus, but I'm 45. (laughs) And in my 45 years, we've had more gun deaths in America domestically than in all of the wars, all Mm. the casualties of wars in all of our wars in American history combined. So that's, that's massive. And suicide's a big part of that. I I believe that there's a a whole lot of things that we can do to prevent gun suicides and, you know, gun, gun homicides. So um, that's, I mean, that's how we've sort of been wrestling with it. And, you know, we've done a lot of virtual events, but even when the Boulder shooting happened, uh, my friends at Raw Tools did a memorial and a vigil across the street. And a gun melting was a part of that. And then, mm. you know, some of the families of those who whose loved ones were killed that dropped by. There's a Mennonite church across the street from where the shooting was. So I think we've got to keep our hearts sensitive, you know. And one way that we can do that is by um, continually remembering the, the, the lives that have been lost, the names and the faces, and even the numbers, you know, of, of those who, have, who are being killed right now. Yeah. Shane, man, that was, thank you. Thanks for being with us. That's always, always thought provoking. Absolutely. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The thing I love, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, anytime you can talk about Dolly Parton, I'm in. Um, I, <laughs> no, I don't really, <laughs> no, I don't know. I just I love Dolly. I remember my mom watched a nine to five, like the, the movie that was my first exposure. Um, but, but the thing that, that Shane, I don't know, both mirrors for me, but also challenges me in is the continual expansion of what it is to be pro-life. Like yeah. for for me, I mean, I, I very much grew up the same way that that um, abortion was wrong, but death penalty, war, um, immigration laws, like tight immigration laws, like all of that was okay. And I never, I never really began um, to see the I don't know inconsistency with some of those, or at least for me, it was very uncritical. It was just like, oh, okay, well, this is what Christians believe, right. It wasn't until I started studying ethics in grad school that I realized, oh, they're like, <laughs> oh, like the death penalty isn't just a a a, a closed case yeah. um, for for Christians, and then that that popped open like uh, we had a, a guy named Matthew Sorens come to a church I was working at, and that popped open the immigration debate, and and all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness. To truly take the Imago Day seriously uh, in in people, and then I started reading pro-life feminists who um, were not only arguing, you know, for the for the life of the unborn, but for the mom who, in circumstances that were catastrophic, felt no other option but yeah. to terminate the pregnancy. And what does it mean to advocate for them? And then, and then, just recently, you're seeing this data that's coming out that's saying pro-life, at least for some, is just a cover. It's just a, a shibboleth. It's a, it's just a oh. way of a, checking a box, um, but 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 it doesn't require anything of us beyond just being anti-abortion. And I, I was and and so I've just I've, I've you know when I when I hear Shane, um, I echo that increased awareness of of what a consistent pro-life ethic for me biblically turns out to be. And it leaves me very not comfortably fitting into any political party. Yeah. Um, uh, And, and, you know, he'd mentioned this and, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to title this episode misfit tribe. Um, because, because our sweet Tim Stafford wrote a song that is just killer and I'm not, I'm not a country music guy. Is this, would it, would this be country? Would this be considered country? I don't know. I don't know. 
Well, it starts country-ish. Yeah, and then, it ends country-ish. And then, but there's something else in there. There's like, it's there's a little... It's a little poppier. It's a little more upbeat. Yeah. Thing. So I really yeah. I really like it. And, and Tim explores some of the themes of just not being, not fitting in well um, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. It's a song what? I never put out. It's just been sitting on a hard drive, but I'd like to finish the record someday. <laughs> Well, just in, in, along the lines of like having creativity be a part of the response of of yeah, of, I just and we had that poem couple. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple. Let's go. I've got a couple other poems too. I need to look at. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah. I love the creative response to these things. You yeah. know, it was interesting. You mentioned Matt Sorens, and I saw him in the tweets. The tweets and he because uh, Biden had made promises about refugee reform and, and letting more people in after the last four years, we kind of capped mm-hmm, things off mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he didn't increase the numbers. And it was Matt Sorens and um, a couple others that like got into the fray and Biden shifted the gears. So I think it's interesting, like watch because Shane did talk a little bit about it being a heart issue and a gun issue for the gun thing. Yeah, that it's not like you. It is about God changing hearts, but it's also about changing laws. Mm-hmm. And you see guys like Matt Sorens who are like doing yeah. exactly that, like both yeah. full frontal attacks on like I'm gonna, yep. we're going to affect, you know, legislature and we're going to affect people's hearts. Because that was always a weird thing. Tony Campolo, the guy that is Shane's uh, buddy and that he's been doing the red letter Christian stuff with. I remember years and years and years ago, him talking about um, both working with the poor and working with the LGBTQ community and how like, once you really invest in humans, it makes it hard for you to just draw lines. Like once Mm. you get it mixed up in the humanity of things, yeah. like whether or not you think one thing is right or wrong, it's, it's hard to strip the humanity out of it. And that's right. I think it's really, I think we all need a healthy dose of that. Absolutely. I mean, and, um, one of the, the great cries of the black community is to, to say the names of the victims that have experienced violence at the hands of police. And what that has done, uh, is more powerful than any abstract talk of racism uh, yeah. you know, could accomplish, right? Which is, we now have stories and faces and situations uh, yeah, that I are attached to I can imagine how this. heavy that line of, um, that Shane was talking about with the people who have experienced the gun violence lining up to, oh, uh, and just how totally. heavy that whole thing must be is. Yeah. But how, I, mean, I don't know. I think it's such a, it's such a, punk rock move getting in there and beating those guns down and giving these people some (laughs) catharsis and doing it together and crying together and beating guns and making tools together yeah yeah it really is a prophetic act totally consistent with what god invited the prophets of israel to do you know to just sit outside the city and do really weird stuff (laughs) and and be like guys come on um, and so it's the I misfit tribe, it, it really is. And, um, and I, and I, have been thinking about, um, think about <laughs> deconstructing. I know this feels like a abrupt left turn, but, um, I, and, and so I, I, we talk a lot about deconstructing faith and all of those sorts of things. And I, and I, I don't know, I've never really been super excited about that term as in, in terms of a a descriptor of what's going on in a lot of us. Um, Cause this isn't like this growth about what it, what it, what does it mean to be pro-life? Does it entail passivism? When is violence ever acceptable? Um, how, what does it mean to welcome the stranger and the enemy and the neighbor um, and, and uh, uh, gun violence and reform and second amendment rights. And I mean, it, this doesn't feel like deconstructing to me. It feels like discipleship. Hmm. And so I, cause someone, I, I saw someone on the tweet saying, Hey, what's a good word for constantly reexamining your inherited beliefs about the way the world and government and things operate. 
And the yeah. and I didn't say anything, but the word I wanted to use was discipleship, right? I mean, it's the constant reevaluation yeah. of life in light yeah. of the coming of the kingdom. Yeah. So I don't feel like I've deconstructed at all. I feel like I've been more faithful yeah. or become more faithful in terms of like trying to see the world the way Jesus might see it. Yeah. And if that's indeed what's happening with a lot of us, then that is certainly nothing to be afraid of or to denigrate. Yeah. Um, because I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, it, it used to be that the religious elite could protect the masses from the ugly side of religion. Hmm. Um, you know, cause they had knowledge. It wasn't, you know, and they had access to the information and the scholarship and the whatever. Now, now everyone knows everything about this thing and you can do research on this verse or this verse and, or this topic and why it's awful and find opinions that are outside of you to support anything you want to believe or not. And, um, and so it, it's almost lazy to just call that deconstruction. Um, at least, uh, although I've for sure used that term all over the place for me, it's more like, Okay, there, it's this constant yet invigorating refrain of repent because the kingdom of the heavens and the person of Jesus of Nazareth is here. Yeah. And, um, and, and part of that is excavating all of these common sense assumptions. You know, it's, uh, whether it's republicanism or consumerism or capitalism or individualism. And obviously there are people who are, who are doing this just to do it. And maybe I'm one of them. Uh, maybe it's fashionable to sort of deconstruct, but I don't know. I don't even think I, I don't. I don't want to call it that anymore because it fe it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel de anything. It feels like drawing closer to Jesus and the yeah. upside down nature of the kingdom. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So Shane, Shane reinforces that for me. That conception that this isn't. This isn't wandering in the wilderness. This is zeroing in yeah. on the Sermon on the Mount. That's way more intense. Yes. Intentional. Yes. <laughs> yes. Intentional. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, how long can you spend on the idea of loving your enemy? I mean, that's a whole life. life. That's yeah. a whole life work right there. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I love it. And uh, regardless of whether or not, you know, we would all agree on the specifics and the policies, there, there's at least something, I think, that, that says, hey, let's begin, as Jesus people, with the idea that everyone is made in the image of God. Yeah. And, and is worthy of honor, respect, and love because they whoever whoever it is we're dealing with falls into one of three categories either they're our neighbor they're the other or they're our enemy and yeah. the in the great thing about jesus is the command to treat those people in <laughs> each instance is the same one. <laughs> oh boy i know so how much of life does that you know absorb for us it's the whole freaking thing so anyway check out uh some of shane's work and, uh, and we're going to bop back into the big story of the Bible next episode. Talking about sin, judgment, and wrath. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Just the light stuff. Just the light stuff. Yeah. Closing thoughts, <laughs> Timothy John on Misfit Tribe. Nope. I, uh, I really appreciate it. One of the things I like about Shane is I think that when at least when you're younger, no, I guess more so when you're older, actually, when you're confronted with a full <clears throat> lifestyle change to embrace mm. what it is that <clears throat> Jesus is calling you to do or be or whatever, whatever this life is supposed to look like, it seems daunting and it seems like there's no way I could give up everything and do, or that's how we think about it, I guess, is right, I gotta right. give up. But then you look at someone like Shane, who's seems like his whole entire life, like, we talked about um, <clears throat> we talked about environmental stuff a couple episodes ago, and how mm -hmm. it seems like the church should lead that. And he's just like, "Yeah, my right, live on this bus that right, totally. toilets compost my garden, and da 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 da." And it's like every aspect of what he's doing is tied into this 
yeah. this full embodied living, and he makes it seem like it's natural. Yeah. And kind of like it's not that daunting. It's not that crazy. Totally. Um, totally. So I don't know. I couldn't imagine, imagine pulling my kids onto a bus and living in the woods and I don't know, but yeah, it's a thing. Anyway, I have no thoughts. He's wonderful. Here's a song <laughs> to listen to. So dear friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in these days. And we want to just um, play uh, Tim's song kind of as we go out. Um, take a moment, listen to it, and you'll see kind of how it applies to everything we've been talking about. Yeah, yo. It's hard to Take a drive.